All topics covered here are for conversational purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Please contact Mulcane Co. to receive advice on all matters from one of our professionals. Welcome listeners to the FS360 podcast, uh, latest episode with your host Gavin Nash. Um, here today uh, with a, an expert in the HR field, human resources, uh, Belinda Fife from The Proven Group. Welcome Belinda. Hello, nice to be here. No, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, we've um, we've uh, hooked Belinda up. She's a, a Ballarat local and um, uh, has a lifetime career in uh, HR and um, all the challenges that go with that, especially in the latest COVID sort of um, time. Mm. So, um, yeah, we just thought we'd get Belinda in today to have a bit of a chat about some of the things you're seeing, Belinda, in your day-to-day work. Yeah. Um, and we're going to sort of work today's topic around the life cycle of the employee. Um, mm. as a bit of a topic so um, and we can throw in there all the things that are topical at the moment that you're seeing in your client work every day yeah um, and listeners you got to kick around till the end of the episode because we've got a special giveaway today so we're going to give away um, there's a special gift happening at the end so make sure that you listen all the way through but uh, yeah thanks again Belinda for joining us um, we're uh, recording this on the 8th of October so just a date stamp it um, Belinda, can I ask you to start with a few questions? So when a business wants to employ someone for the first time, like where, where would they start? They usually, interestingly, they usually start with their accountant. Yes. <laughs> which is um, the business professional advice. that they have the most to do with, you know, early on in the piece. Yeah, sure. And, um, and, and the accountant is a great place to start. So they go and they ask, you know, usually they're, they're kind of saying, well, do I need an employee? Um, if I do need an employee, should they be casual? Should they be full-time? Should they be part-time? What's the difference between those things? Or maybe I could just get a subcontractor. That's the other thing that they often ask us um, about. And then, um, you know, their accountant may give them some advice if they have a good understanding of all of that stuff or we have a good relationship with a lot of local accountants who pass them on to us and we're always happy to speak to people, um, no obligation, and that sort of first phone call, happy to to chat to people about what it is that they're actually looking for. Um, And particularly I had one new client ring about a week ago and it was that whole – do I put this person on as a subcontractor or do I need to put them on as an employee? And there's a lot of – legalities around that so you really have to have an understanding of well what is a subcontractor and what is an employee from a legal definition because it's not just a choice from the parties involved if um, fair work looks at it down the track and and the older um the old adage, I suppose, is if it if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people, if let's say you know they've started their business and they've worked quite well, let's say they're a tradesman or a mm. tradesperson, um, and then they think, you know, after twelve months, well, I'm going to put someone on here. Well, I've got mm. so much work I can't handle it, so mm. I'm going to put someone on. So then they've turned themselves from a tradesperson into a business owner, correct, and now into an employer. So yes. you've got to sort of remember that as a business owner there's all these different sort of areas that you need to have a bit of an idea on and you're not to know it all from the start yourself so I suppose the idea is to try and get someone involved that does um, which is where the proven group come in. That's it. And, and, you know, we our area of expertise is around human resources. So it's the fair work legislation, it's awards, um, it's looking at things like contracts of employment and position descriptions and all of the other sort of HR things that you need to do. We're not um, experts in accounting and tax, so we don't advise on that. You know, there, there's um, – you just need to – reach out to the people who know their particular area, you know, so I'm not a marketing expert, so that's where I'd go to you, Gav, and I'd ask questions about what I need to do in that area. It's, um, 
there's a lot of benefit to that. And and the ex- the other thing that the expert can do can give you um, advice quickly. You know, so oftentimes we get clients who ring us and ask a question around an award or fair work and we'll go click, click, click on the fair work website because it's massive and we actually know our way around it and can find the answer quite quickly for people, which um, is a better use of their time and our time. It does come – so we have this conversation on this podcast a bit actually, Belinda, with some different people because we often say that, you know, if you're an expert in what you're doing in business, you know, you need to consult the other experts that are good at the other bits. Mm. Um, You know, you can't do everything yourself. You just can't – if you did, you wouldn't be doing a good job of your own, um, consulting with your own clients or whatever. So – but like for an ex- example, like what is the what would the biggest difference be between sort of a subcontractor and an employee if you wanted to run through just briefly sort yeah. of the differences? Yeah. Well, oftentimes people think that the biggest difference is if somebody has an ABN, then they're a subcontractor. It's actually not that simple. They may have an ABN but still be classed as an employee depending on what the relationship is with the person. So what fa- a fair work and the tax office for that matter, because they look at these things as well, would look at is things like does the person pl- provide their own equipment do they have their own insurance are they able to um, delegate the work to somebody else because subcontractors can and employees can't Um, you know are they paid for things like holidays or not Um, so there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of um, questions I suppose that we would go through with the client and and basically it's a balance of probabilities you know outcome so it'll it'll come through and say well I think they're actually a subcontractor and you'd be okay to move forward with that mm-hmm. and we would always then be able to help them with a subcontractor agreement because that's the other thing as even as a subby they're going to get a lot of information and knowledge about the business and you want to make sure that that's protected from a confidentiality and intellectual property perspective um, and if they're an employee then obviously we can help with contracts and all the other bits and pieces that you're going to need so when when you actually have a new person starting there's one of the f- the 10 um, national employment standards that you have to do is give them a, a fair work information statement. And anyone who doesn't employ people often doesn't know what that is. So they think if I employ someone and I just make sure I'm paying them enough, that's that's all I need to do. And it's not. There's actually like a number of pieces of, of paperwork that has to go along with that. I think the agreement's an interesting one, isn't it? We, our last episode was about buy-sell agreements, you mm. know, with businesses uh, on this podcast. Mm. So for anyone that want, you know, you know, that's more for partners in a business to have a buy-sell so that you know what's going on if one of you gets sick or one of you dies. But the same thing with employees. Like, they're going to get access to a whole lot of information about yeah. your business from the inside. Yep. For example, um, you know, they could have, if it's an office spacing, they could have passwords to uh, financial um, software, lots yep. of different bits and pieces where... Um, you just want to make sure that something was in writing that sort of covered you as an employer um, for that sort of thing. I, I oh, assume. for sure, for sure. And that confidentiality clause in, in your employment contract continues beyond the end of employment, that's the thing. So they still have to keep your confidential information confidential even if they don't work for you anymore. Yep, yep. And is it still correct, Belinda, throwing a, a cold one at you, um, but is it still correct that if you – one of the things about being a contractor is that you've got to – you can't do all of your contract work for the one employer. So you've got to sort of – you've got to be, you know, doing some work for other people to sort of be classified as a contractor. You can't just go, oh, I'm going to be a contractor, but 100% yeah. of my work's for this one employer. Yeah. Is uh, that still right? Yeah, that's the old 80-20 rule, so the yeah. Pareto principle. So there's the – Technical the official word for it, for it. Yeah, yes, good the eighty twenty rule. So you'd have to do, um, you know, more than – or less than 80% of your work for the one person. Yep. Otherwise you may – you may be 
considered an employee. That's actually a tax office test, not a okay. fair work test. Um, fair work doesn't have an 80-20 rule. It, it has a, as I said before, it has a duck rule. Does it look like it? Does yeah. it sound like it? Does it? it? <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And enough. they'll look at things on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. But obviously Fair Work only looks at things when they're brought to their attention. Yeah. They don't go necessarily looking um, out there at individual agreements, although they can. Fair Work inspectors are able to just roll up like a um, WorkSafe inspector does at any business at any time and ask to see, you know, the documentation to prove that that. Um, you're paying correctly and, and it's all the other conditions under the award are met as well. What, and what, what if they're not? Like what, what, what does that inspector go? Have they got some – can they fine you? Can they oh. sort of, you know, um, put any other sort of, you know, sort of – how else can they sort of punish a business, yeah. I suppose, for doing the wrong thing? Yeah. Look, absolutely they can fine you and they can fine you for any number of things. One of the – you know, just a really simple one is if you've um, neglected to give people a pay slip. You know, we right. think every pay you can Simple be. Simple thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, the fine is over $1,000 per missed pay slip. Right. So if you had 10 employees and you haven't given them a pay slip for 10 weeks and you pay them weekly, that's 100 or for, or for two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, yeah. it's things like that. And there's also, you know, there's requirements on what the pay slip has to have on it and all of those kinds of things. But obviously if the listeners are using uh, an accounting software like Zero, then they'll be fine because it's compliant to everything that's required there. Sure. But you do have to – and you've got to, you know, send that payslip within two days of the payroll and there's all of these rules around this sort of stuff. And yep, yep. It, unless you speak to somebody who understands them, then you're not going to know. And some of that uh, software, like I know Zero does it for, for our employees, is that, um, you know, they get access their own password to it. So they yep. can go and request their own annual leave. They can yep. go in and say, yes, I was sick for this day. You know, and they can put the date in, they can upload a medical certificate. So for a lot of it, I suppose, for the employer, you can put some of that power back into your employee's hands a little bit. Oh, yeah. And, and of, yeah. We, we advocate for that because um, the employer doesn't have to do it all. And that's one of the reasons we've introduced, you know, a, a human resources information system, which is basically like a cloud-based the zero system for accounting. You've got a human resources system for right. HR. Yep. Um, and so it'll, it'll hold all of your... Paperwork, make Policies, sure that procedures, you, yeah, yep. and and make sure that they're up to date as well. So, yep. um, the the product that we've gone with is backed by a legal firm in Sydney. So it's um it's always up to date. That's the thing that that that's the peace of mind that you get with that kind of thing. Yeah, perfect. Mm. I think yeah, it's it's a lot of today's conversation is going to boil back to getting a, an expert involved. I think mm. you know because I think if you're out on the on the job, you mm. know, and you're trying to bill your hours or whatever you're doing. I think the the less time you spend yourself in in your HR, probably the better. Mm. And um, just like with marketing and all those other things that we quite often talk about, um, you talk about um, the employer's risk profile, Belinda. How mm. would you sort of how would you sort of explain uh, the risk profile of uh, putting a new employee on? So it's always um, people are always a little bit scared. So, you know, it is an emotional... What if, what if I can't pay them? What if I can't pay them? You know, I don't <laughs> want to take on... What if I've got enough work? Yeah. yeah, and I don't want to take on somebody else's mortgage and I don't want their kids not to eat and, like, yeah. all of those sort of things. It's an emo- We are emotional creatures as human beings. You know, that that's the nature of what we are. And you can't really just ignore that in the workplace. Um, so it's, it's about saying to people, that's normal. You know, it's a normal sort of reaction to have... Having said that, um, as a general rule, if you can afford to pay half of the salary of the person that you're wanting to put on, then it's time to put somebody on because 
simply by putting them on and having more capacity, more work will be generated. Right. Um, so it's usually a pretty, um, a pretty safe bet that they're going to to work out okay. Having said that, it, it comes back to the risk profile, as I said, of the of the individual because some people never want to take on staff. So maybe they grow the business and they grow it to the point where it's too big for them, but they'll um, pass off some of that business to a trusted colleague in another business, you know, that does a similar sort of thing or a subcontractor of some description. They just don't ever want to grow into an employer sort of process. And that's an individual decision, really, mm. at the end of the day. But the thing to remember is if you want to end, if you want to be a business owner as opposed to a person that gives themselves a job, which is what a sole trader is, then you have to employ people at some point. Mm. Um, and employing people is not difficult. It's you just have to be aware that there are – it's a whole new sort of space of legislation because it's not just the Fair Work Act and the awards that you've got to be aware of. It's all the other things that go with it. It's occupational health and safety. It's um, things like the Racial Discrimination Act and the, yeah, you know – bullying policy and all those yeah, things. Yeah, and equal opportunity and, and – And even the accountants up at Mulcainco would, would, would also say, well, if you've been a sole trader with an ABN number, we've well, mm. got to change that into a – Probably a company structure now. Correct. So yeah. you've got some of that sort of um, backing as well. And so protection. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it is about, um, you know, minimising the risk for you as the business owner. Uh, and it, and one, I suppose one of the key differences when we go, you know, as the proven group, when we go in and work with a business that has staff, we always say we actually go to, to be a voice for the business rather than the voice for the owner or the employee because an employment relationship is a mutual need relationship. Both parties need each other, you know. So yep. I don't see why it can't be a win-win relationship in that case. It doesn't have to be adversarial just because, you know, that's the way it's been in the bigger companies for years. As a small business, you've got the opportunity to really make it a collegiate sort of environment and culture, which means that people work for you for with their blood, sweat and tears and not just for money. Yeah, so just the hours they're putting in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they just love it. You know, there's that real... Um, opportunity to build something from a culture perspective that you find a lot more fulfilling and so does the employee. Um, and so we come into the, the workplace and we'll look at things from the business's perspective. Another example, I had a conversation with um, a couple of new clients who had a problem child, which is oftentimes when we get involved. Um, I've got this employee that does blah, blah, blah. Um, and as I spoke to these two ladies, they, they had a business with 50 employees and they were the CEO and the second in charge. And um, they'd tried a number of things with this particular lady who was who seemed to be a glass half empty kind of person. Yep. And one of the, so I listened to them for half an hour because they needed to get everything off their chest. And then I asked the question, well, what, what is the best thing here for the business? So, you know, you've tried X, Y and Z with this person. What, what do you think is the best thing for the business? So, I mean, I, I could have an opinion on that, but I don't know the person as well as they do. Um, and I don't know the business as well as they do. So it's about getting an understanding from them what the business actually needs at that particular point in time. And that was a bit of a revelation for them because they'd not really thought about the business as an entity in itself. Um, and it is there, but it doesn't have a voice often. And if if you're not doing what's best for the business, it's going to ultimately suffer, isn't it? It is. So, and, and fundamentally, doing the best thing for the business is often, by default, the best thing for the owner and the employee anyway. So we're not on um, 
you know, we're about saying, well, employees need to have a place where they feel safe and valued and uh, uh, and they can contribute and all of those kinds of things because then you're going to get the most out of your employee and they're going to be really happy. Um, but likewise, the owner needs to feel supported and not, not that they're kind of fighting um, all the time to, to get anything out of people. So um, that's about looking at it from a cultural perspective mm. and saying, well, how can I influence what the vibe is around the place? I know that's one... That's one thing that you guys are pretty big on, isn't it? Yeah. Proving group is culture, building mm. that culture that's going to suit yeah. not only the owners but the employees and give everyone a, a higher purpose that's it. rather than just turning up for a paycheck. Yeah. 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 It's much more pleasant yeah. all around. Yeah, it gives you, it gives you a, a much nicer feeling at the mm. end, of, every, end of a work week, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, Belinda, if people were going to employ someone, how do they know like, which award to put them under? Is there a sort of a, yeah, is there a big long list of awards in different industries? There is, um, and they are industry-based. So the first question is to say, well, which industry do you actually fit into and is there an award for that? So the big benefit that we've got now with Fair Work, um, which came in in 2010, can you believe it's over a decade ago? But anyway, um, prior to Fair Work, there was about 5,000 awards that people could fit under. <laughs> And some yeah. were federal and some were state, you know, like it was just a bit of a mess. Um, and so Fair Work um, brought all of those together and minimised them. So there's right. now a total of 122 awards and they're all industry-based. So so we're now looking at saying to people, well, what industry are you in? And oftentimes if people don't know, that's when they come and talk to us. We'll ask them a few questions about it and we'll look it up for them and we'll say to them, okay, I think you probably fit under this industry. Does this sound like you? Let's have a look at then um, the classifications under that award for your employees. So which level will they fall under? Because it's Fair Work is very quick to say that it's the employer's responsibility to choose the right award and choose the right um, level in that award. But if they get it wrong, then we'll we can come down on you if somebody makes an, an, a complaint, and which is kind of seems a little bit unfair because as soon as you ring Fair Work, and we, we ring them all the time, to be honest, they're really we find them quite easy to work with, uh, quite reasonable, but you've kind of got to know what you're talking about. It's like you, you ring up a doctor, you've got to know a little bit about what it is. that, that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. That, you, that you're talking about. And what you're talking about is classifications within the industry. So let's say, um, I know you've helped me in the past with some of the graphic designers that I employ. So we say... You know, there's a there's a printing and design sort of industry, yes. And within that, there's category one through to eight, yes. for example, and you yeah, and one is the least experienced, eight is the most experienced, and then you've got to find out where you've got to really predict where that employee employee is, yes, and then pay them at that award rate because as a minimum, yeah, yeah, as the minimum. So yeah, you just got to make sure that you're not yeah. underpaying, I suppose. First, you can't say to someone, oh, I think they're a category two when they're really a category seven. Yeah, they're doing a whole lot of this other yeah. responsible kind of work, taking on responsibility and. You know, and it's um, not that's not actually not a decision that you make just once. So certainly something that you need to look at when you're employing somebody for the first time. But yep. what about once they've done a year or two or three or four? Well, or four I was going to ask you that because you've always been big with me saying that you know the awards go up on the first of July every year, Correct. don't they? Yes. Uh, the Australian Awards. So yep. uh, you have to. It's a good time to look at them, isn't it? You yeah. know, um, to make sure that you know is everyone that I'm employing um, categorised correctly. Yep. You know, am I paying them correctly? Because what you don't want to do is be paying someone. Four categories under where they should be yeah. for three years, because then something you might could be happen in a back pay situation. You're going yeah. to come back and back pay them. So yep. I suppose that maybe around that July would be a good time to think about yeah, put, putting it in your diary, maybe to sort of consult your HR um, um, department or your HR sort of contractor, and just say, look, you know, every July I'm going to sit down for two hours. And we're going to go through it all. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a great idea and, and Fair Work is, is really good because it does provide new pay guide um, information. So there is a downloadable PDF every year with the new pay guides on it. So some some awards, you know, that might be a 10-page document. Other awards, it's a 65-page document. So it depends on which award it is, how many allowances there are, how many classifications there are. Some of the awards, for instance, have got a clerical um, section in it now so it, it's industry based so it might be um, manufacturing for instance but then it will have you know clerical stuff in it whereas other awards don't and you've got to you've got to then look at the clerks private sector award as well so th- so the reason they simplified the awards was to try and make it as easy as possible for employers has it made it easy for employers mm, Probably not. Um, at least you're not looking at 5,000 of them It's anymore. easier, yeah, <laughs> than it was. And then you've got to consider that there's all different ways of employing someone too. Like, you know, mm. you could have someone on a, on a base and a retainer or a retainer and a, and a commission-based thing if Correct. it's a sales role or whatever. Yeah. So there's a lot of different sort of things to look at, isn't You could it? have somebody on an annualised salary. You could have somebody on an hourly rate. Hourly rate. You could yeah. look at overtime. You could look at time in lieu. You could look at RDOs. You can, you can do a lot of things. And most things you do by agreement, you know. And yep. so really Fair Work's just there and the award's just there to give you a minimum to, right. to go on. And the minimum is the legal minimum, you know, so th- you can't go under that. Um, interestingly, you know, even if you put them on as a subcontractor, if you pay them less than they would have got as an employee uh, doing the same work, then that, that would be what Fair Work would call a sham contract and they would make you pay them more. Well, interesting you bring up contracts because that was my next question about, you know, we hear about contracts of employment, you know. Mm. Are they necessary? Oh, I think you, so. Yep. Do you think that everyone that employs someone should yes. get them to sign a contract of employment? Yes. Yes, and yes what, I what, do. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Good, good advice. What do you um, what what would be included in a contract of employment? So there's a couple of things that you're required as an employer to provide to your employees in writing when they start, and they're usually basic things like which award are you employed under, what's going to be your rate of pay, if they're part time, what are their hours, what days of the week, start times, finish times, those kinds of things. So the awards do mandate certain things that you have to give people in writing. Yep. Anyway, mm-hmm. so so one, whether you give them a full-blown contract or a one-page letter with these things on it, you're going to have to give them something. So, so in the past, it might have been called a letter of offer or something yeah. like that, you know, yeah. but really, you know, you, if you can put more in it than just what your pay is going to be. Yeah. Um, expectations, as you say, about what time do we need you to turn up to work every day? You know, what time are there breaks? You know, do you wear a uniform? You know, what, what, what's involved in the job, I suppose. So, yeah. And um, it's an opportunity. A contract's really an opportunity for the business to, to put in a whole bunch of protections for the business that aren't there in the awards. So the awards are there for protections for employees. Great, you know, fantastic, we yep, need those. Yep. Um, but why doesn't the business get some protections as well? You look so, after yourself as well. Yeah. well. Like what we said earlier in the program about... Um, um, confidentiality. Yeah, intellectual had. property, yep. confidentiality, all those Restrain things. of trade. Yeah, yeah. You know, all, if you leave all us, of those. We, you know, if you leave us, we, we don't want to take all that information to the next employer straight away or whatever, so... Yeah, or um, working for the competition. And even just basic things like, you know, how many, how many weeks of, you know... Notice do I have to give if I, yes. if I want to quit, you yeah. know, or if we decide to terminate the employment, you yeah. know, what's the same thing back and forth. So, yeah. yeah, and I suppose the thing is to get involved with, you know, a consultant like someone like you guys, the Proven Group, where you can sort of say, well, look, we're going to draft up a generic one that could suit most people. But look, every time we put someone on, let's have a quick look at it. But otherwise, you know, you, you're not. it's not like you're really doing that from scratch every single employee, are you? 
No, you're not. And particularly if you if you went with say the HRIS, it's a you know that it's going to be compliant from the very beginning. And the way it works is you just work through a checklist. Mm. Um, it asks you a bunch of questions. You answer the questions. It spits out a contract at the end. Yep. And you know it's backed by a legal firm. It's going to stand up to yep. to yep. whatever you know is required of it. Um, whereas you know if we we still do those contracts manually for clients. So you know for smaller clients who perhaps doesn't make sense to go with a software system, um, we can still supply those. But we we supply the contract for the individual each time because things change quite rapidly in the area. It is a legal document and you want to make sure that it's right at the time of writing. Yep. Um, so that's why we we don't tend to supply a template to clients because they inevitably they will go out of date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and all of this that we talk about today is going to cost your, your business something. If you're an employer, yeah. it's all going to cost you something. But we, we have mentioned on previous episodes, Belinda, about things like buy-sell agreements, things like income protection insurance, things like trauma insurance if you have an accident. So all of these things probably fall under what I like to call like the, the cost of doing business. So right. if you can't afford the cost of doing business, you shouldn't be in business. You yes. know, that's one of the you know stark realities of you can't just say, oh, well, I can sell 40 hours a week at $100 an hour and make 400000 a year. Well, you can't because you're going to have costs of doing business in there. That might be your tools or your vehicle or your... HR, yep. your, yep. You know, your marketing, your website, whatever it is. So there's just your insurances. So there's sort of costs of doing business. So you've got to keep um, – and, and that's just what life is, you know. If you're going to be in business with employees, this is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. So um, they're just the realities of it. And if um, and you've got to sort of you – know, from today's chat already, we can see that, you know, there's certainly some legal sort of throwback for different things if you don't do it properly – Look, there is, and and but why stop just with the compliance aspect? I mean, compliance is really important. You've got to do it, and it's a foundation. But you can move forward and add in, as I said before, benefits for the business yeah, as yeah. well. It's not yep. just about um, the compliance bit, although that might be the motivator to get you going. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, then my next question, Glinda, is around a position description and mm. um, why you would need one. Mm. But I, I wanted to throw a little story in. So oh, yeah. I, I was dealing with a client... Um, uh, about six or seven years ago and they had 14, 14, 15 employees. And so they asked me, can you give us a hand putting up an ad on Seek? You know, we want to look for a new person. I said, okay, no worries. Can you give me their position description? And they just said, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I said, well, have you employed 14 people without one position description? And that's what had happened. So I think the thing is, you know, for all the things you're about to say, probably about position descriptions, but... To this day, there'll be there'll be businesses that employ multiple people without a position description. So yep. that was just a little story that I wanted to throw in there. But run us through what a position description is and why do you need one? Yeah, not a problem. Um, it's interesting that you say that that had you know they had fourteen people because once you kind of get to that fifteen to twenty mark, that's when that you can get away with it up to that point. After that, it kind of falls over a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the main reason that you have a position description is to provide instruction to your employee that's reasonable. Um, you know, reasonable management instruction is a word that I term that I use all the time. Um, it's about reducing confusion mainly and providing role clarity to people. So when I come to work, what is it that's expected of me? What are the boundaries of my role? What decisions can I make? What can't I make? Um, you know, am I able to spend any money on behalf of the business or not? You know, all of those kinds of can things. Can I have come my phone it. in my pocket? Yeah. Could be little things like that where yep. the, the employer thinks, oh, well, why the hell would you look at your phone all day? But if it's not sort of written anywhere that you shouldn't, yes. how can you expect them to know? So there's... That's it. It's and sort if you of don't setting the boundaries, isn't it, I suppose? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Mm. And, and, you know, your policies help with that as well. Uh, but the position description is really about 
reducing confusion and therefore waste in the business. So if you don't have a position description, people will be doing whatever they think they need to be doing for that particular role, which may or may not be what the business needs or what the owner wants. Yep. So it's clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Just a nice it's a nice way of saying it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It also helps, as you've said, with a recruitment process because if yeah. you're recruiting, what are you recruiting for? Yeah. And if you don't have a PD written down, how do you know what you're recruiting <laughs> for? <laughs> I've got my own sort of um, my own thoughts on recruitment and <laughs> when we see these position descriptions up online, but we might save that for another day. Um, Belinda, what are the other obligations as an employer? Um, like is there other legislation out there relating to employment yeah. that we've really got to look at? Yeah, look, there's, there's a massive amount of legislation out there that relates to employment. Anything from the Privacy Act... Um, right through to, to things like the Racial Discrimination Act that I mentioned before. There's a Gender Equality Act. There's an Equal Opportunity Act. They're all state-based too. So, you know, some of this is state-based legislation. Some of it's um, federal legislation. So if you're going to employ people in different states, yep. that's a, that can be an issue. Yeah. Yep. Even safety is different in different states. So... Um, when Fair Work was actually came in in 2010, that was that's a Commonwealth Act, right. um, and it incorporates the uh, Corporations Act. So basically, if you're a company, then you're covered by Fair Work anywhere in Australia, um, and it required the states to give up their industrial relations powers to the Commonwealth so that they could they could put that legislation through because it wasn't. Um, part of the powers of the Commonwealth at the time. No, that wasn't a big deal in Victoria because Jeff Kennett gave our powers of industrial relations up to the Commonwealth back in the 90s, so, you know, it wasn't new for us, but it was a big deal for a lot of the other states and, in fact, Western Australia never did. So if you're a company in Western Australia, you're covered by the Fair Work Act and if you're not, you're not. So that's interesting in itself. Wow. A very similar thing happened to the um, safety legislation a few years ago. Um, so Victoria had a, re- you know, our first Occupational Health and Safety Act was 1985, I believe. It had a revamp in 2004 and um, is seen as as best practice, basically. It's the best piece of legislation around pretty much globally for workplace safety. Um, so when the federal government wanted to take on and do um, WHS, which is workplace health and safety as opposed to occupational health and safety, they actually used the Victorian Act as the example. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, so the, so Victoria actually never signed up to the federal, OH&S, federal WHS Act. And that's because our state act is actually at a higher standard than the Federal Act because the Federal Act had to, you know, appease the other states to get it through. At some point in the future, they'll catch up um, to Victoria and I'm sure we will move across and it'll become WHS instead of OHS. But things like that, you know, you need to be aware of, particularly if you've got, you know, one of our clients um, has an office here in, in Victoria and another in Tasmania. So there's just different things that, that relate to those two different sites. Um, so some of it is the same across Fair Work, some of it is not. And of course, there's some industries that are more dangerous than others. We talk about mm. work cover and whatever. Mm. So if anyone's not aware, so work cover is basically like an insurance policy for your business Correct. to say, look, you know, if someone gets hurt on the job mm. um, and you pay a premium on that every year, and look, if you're an office-based like a business like mine, um, Belinda, we pay pretty low <laughs> work cover because... It's pretty low risk. Yeah, apart from, you know, stabbing yourself with a pen or falling down the stairs, that's about <laughs> all you can do. But you can imagine if you're working on a crane or on a construction site or... You're climbing yep. a rock or you're... Driving a forklift. Yeah, or driving a forklift yep. or heavy machinery or, yep. or vehicles. Um, your premium might be a lot higher. So uh, I suppose there are all those other costs involved in, mm. in, in hiring someone. So work mm. covers one, you know, your superannuation is another one. So there's, mm. it's not just the wage that you're going to be paying someone. No. There's always these what we call on costs. Yes. Is, 
um, the on costs, Belinda, like is it easy? Is it easy to sort of say there's a you throw on ten percent or fifteen percent onto a wage yeah. to sort of as a general rule? I'm not saying obviously it's going to be different in every industry, but yeah. as a general guide, if there was someone out there going right, I'm going to employ someone next week. They're listening to this podcast. Mm. Is there an on costs? So by on costs, guys, I mean that's work cover, superannuation, all rolled into one. We'll, yep. call, it, we'll call it on costs. Yep. Is there a bit of a percentage that you can sort of work off or? Well, there is. And as you said, it, the work cover really depends on your industry because the higher risk there is, the higher the premium is going to be and therefore the higher you. the percentage it would be. Um, but if we if we take it one step back and say, okay, super's an on-cost for everyone. So whether they're casual or, or permanent, they're going to get super, which is now at 10% and it's going up to 12% over the next few years. Um your, your work cover claim, you may end up with payroll tax as well, which is around the 4%, I believe. So, you know, it's they kind of add up. But the other thing is if you're putting on a casual versus a permanent person, there's a 25% loading in most of the awards for casuals. And and what the most business owners don't really understand is that the, the cost difference at the end of the day to the business owner to pay a casual at 25% extra versus a permanent person and all of their paid leave is about the same. Yeah, yeah. So... The casuals just aren't accruing no. holiday pay, sick pay, mm. whereas the permanent part-times or the it, permanent full-times are. are. Yeah. Mm. So, really... So the cost of your business is about the same. Yeah. yeah. So, if you ca- if you add in that, either a casual loading at 25% or the holiday stuff, and your, um, uh, your super and your work cover and your payroll tax and all that stuff, you're probably looking at 45 or 50%. Yep, yep, mm. yep. Quite a lot. Yeah, so if you're going to hire someone at, at fifty thousand dollars, and you think, oh, well, I think I should be able to cover their wage. You should be looking more at, you know, seventy-five. Yeah, another mm. another fifty percent on top of that for mm. sure. Is there a certain size that businesses need to be able into before they sort of need to think about getting some ongoing HR help? Is there sort of have you got a bit of a guide? Is it sort of five employees or ten employees or one yeah. employee that you would say, right, I need to go to someone like the Proven Group and get some yeah. regular assistance? Yeah, so we, I mean, we've got a real range of clients um, from right from people who are putting on their very first employee, and they would be what we would call an ad hoc client because they don't need us all the time. They just need us from time to time to answer a question or help them put a con- contract together or something. Yes. You know, so they just pay fee for service. So whatever it is that we do, we quote it beforehand and off they go. One month they might need a few hours work. The next m- couple of months they don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And sure. so there's no ongoing fee for people like that. It's just um, what do you need? Let's see what we can get. Yep. Uh, and then we. Um, if you've got probably around the the 10 employees is where you start to sort of see, well, you know, maybe you need a little bit of ongoing help, but certainly once you hit 15 or 20, that's when you're looking at would an outsourced HR manager actually be good for my business? Yep. And what does that look like? Well, it probably looks like maybe a couple of half days a month where we would could come on site and manage all of the HR function for you so we we do it on site because that's where the staff are you know we actually have to learn know your team get to understand them you know it might involve us running a little training program to cover off on bullying and harassment and discrimination in the workplace for instance um or we might um redo everyone's contract when we go in there because you know the one you had was probably a little bit out of date. Yeah, could have been one they copied from a friend 15 years ago. So that's it. Yeah, that's it. So they've got to... Yeah, and we, we always updated. check, you know, the compliance sort of side of things. But then having a look at, well, how can we help the business to, you know, move forward? So introducing things like performance reviews, you know, they're usually pretty scary the first time that you introduce them to people because the staff think that they're, they're going to get told off for some reason. I don't really understand that. But anyway, um, and part of the training is to, to let... The business owners know that it's a positive experience. I mean, performance reviews should be positive. 
they shouldn't be new news that people are hearing. So if you do have an issue with people, then you need to pick it up at the time. Um, and it's coaching, you know, for anyone who's in a leadership role in that business. There's lots and lots of things that we can do and get involved in and um, increase not only the compliance in the business, but also that that feeling of engagement by the staff. And I think that it all boils back down to that culture that you spoke about earlier in the program about, um, you know, if, if someone feels valued and they feel like they're part of a team, doesn't matter what they do for a living, doesn't matter your industry, this works for everyone. Yeah, um, people are people after yeah, all. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna come in to work with a spring in their step rather than dragging their feet through the door and, and you know, trying to waste as much time as they can before they <laughs> knock off. So I think that's the thing about it, isn't it, that you sort of um, those, well, like we do our staff yearly, you know, so once a year we sit down, we have a good chat, you know, yep. that might be a coffee somewhere off-site, you know, uh, you might take them out for lunch or whatever you're going to do, but yeah. you need to put that time in, I think, because otherwise they can't do a good job for you if they're yeah. not really sure what the parameters are or what they're going, what they're going really well with, pat them on the back, what they could improve on, give mm. them some training, help out. So I think that sort of once a year thing is a good idea. But as you say, if there's issues, there's issues and you've got to deal with them at the time, you can't yeah. put it off and say, oh, we'll do that at the yearly review, it's four months yeah. away. You know? <laughs> let, let me just gather them all, all the misdemeanours together yeah. and I'll hit them with them all at yeah, once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably doesn't work that well. Yeah, slap down the big book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Blinda, um, that's great. I think there's been a lot in that program today and I hope it's not too overwhelming for people. But I'm, I'm probably trying to get to – I know our listeners are um, – business owners from all different levels. You know, we've got certainly got some startups, sole traders that haven't employed anyone ever, right through to some businesses that have got a couple of hundred staff. So, yeah. But I think um, some of this stuff is relevant and um, can be picked up by anyone at any time mm. all the way along that journey. So, Oh, yeah. And, and you know, any time that there's a change as well in the staffing levels. And, and you know, when, when COVID hit, for instance, you yeah, know, there was... massive a, changes. Yeah. yeah. And look, there was a percentage of our client base that were hit really hard with that. And so we went to those businesses, we stood up in front of the teams and we talked just very frankly about what that was going to mean for their team. There were people we put off work and stood down and all of that sort of stuff. Yep. So it's about understanding the legalities of that, but also getting the practical help if you can't do it. Yeah. You know, it's not about, um, you know, I had one business owner who was who just cried the whole time in that, that meeting because I basically put her whole team off because it was she was just one of those industries that was really hit really hard, yeah. really quick. Um, but, it, but it couldn't sustain it, you yeah. know, at the end of the day. And I said to her, well, I, you know, we can help with that. You don't have to be doing that stuff on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, you can't – sometimes you can't be their team their team member and their boss and their person that sort of gives them a wrap over the knuckles. So that's where someone like you guys can come yeah. in and sit, sit in that meeting and give them a hand. Yeah. Belinda, if, if our listeners wanted to get in touch uh, with the Proven Group, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys for some HR assistance? Uh, best way is through our website. So all the Ws, theprovengroup.com.au. Nice one. So we're proving that HR is <laughs> something you need to think about. Absolutely. Um, there's a, I've, you've got a closing quote for me, Melinda, if you'd like to take us through that. I do. And this one's from um, former US Deputy Attorney General Paul McNulty, and it's one that we use all the time. Um, if you think compliance is expensive, try non-compliance. It's a good one. Mm. It's um, exactly, exactly the message we had a couple of episodes ago about income protection insurance. Yes. Like, if you think it's expensive, which it is, 
try not having it and then having a big accident <laughs> or where you can't work, you know, something happens. So yeah. um, it's only expensive until you, yeah, until you, until, you work, until you work out that you definitely do need it. And it's interesting that you say that about insurance because HR is a lot like that. Yeah. Paying yeah. for HR is like paying for an insurance policy. Yeah, it's almost like covering your, your bases, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And, and then after your bases are covered, and I know that's where you guys come in a lot with your clients, is that you can take them into that next level. Yes. Um, which is all the culture stuff and how do we actually get a team that's high achieving rather yep. than just getting the job done yeah know, so yeah doing the minimum <laughs> um and i did promise at the start of the program belinda that we're going to do a giveaway so belinda's got a book called cutting through the staff maze the basics of human resources so a book um we're going to give away three copies of the book on the podcast today so if you wanted a copy of the book the first three people to email me that's gavin g-a-v-i-n at mulkay.com.au um we'll get a copy of that book so thanks for giving us a well, one your time and expertise, Belinda, but also three books to give away. That's yeah. Great. Well, I wrote it. And I thought somebody should read it at some yeah. point. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> although you did tell me before the program that you're onto your last few copies, so it, the first run has gone well because yeah. they're all out there in the community and they're all out there with business owners. So that's um, true. Yeah, and that was a couple of years ago, I think, wasn't it? That yeah, it was. A f- so yeah, it was a few now. So yeah, so yeah. that's good. Mm. I have to do another up, an update and a reprint. Yes, you. why not? Let's do that. So if you want a copy of one of those books, guys, uh, email gavin at mulkay.com.au and I'll be uh, awarding those to the first three people. Perfect. I did write it with um, small business owners and new managers in mind, so yep. that's who it's been written for. Right. Um, and I do say to people, please don't read it cover to cover because it is a cure for insomnia. But um, it's, a, it's a dip in and out book, basically. Yep, so yep. You, you go in and you say, okay, what, what, what were they talking about with those and positions? And it's chapter-based, isn't it? So you've yeah. got, yeah, you can sort of look up your chapter. And, and an index read. and yep. all that sort of thing. Thing. So you just look up the bit that you want to have a, some information on yep. and come out again. Well, thanks, Belinda. Belinda Fife from theprovengroup.com.au. Um, thanks for your time today on the FS360 podcast. A pleasure. You've been listening to the FS360 podcast brought to you by Mulcahy Co. Financial Security 360 is at the centre of what we do at Mulcahy Co. If you'd like to speak to one of our professionals about a range of individual and business needs, give us a call.